24, Matthew 24, beginning in the ninth verse, we read, as we find our way, then there will be, then they will be delivered, then they will deliver you up. to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because of lawlessness, because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he that endureth unto the end shall be saved, shall be saved. Let us pray. Father, we love you. We bless you. We're so grateful that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We join with the angelic host in acknowledging that how great you are, how great you are. And today, oh God, by your spirit, we need a special feeling that all that you have placed for our ears and intend for our ears to hear, that we might have ears to hear what the spirit of the Lord has to say. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. 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 Somebody say praise the Lord with me. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. As uh, <clears throat> I continue the series of messages entitled Unqualified, I'm reminded that once a year, as a hospice employee, I am required to sign what is called a compliance agreement. The document list the policies and practices employees are obligated to follow in order to execute their jobs. Some of the expectations have to do with maintaining patients, patient confidentiality, avoiding discrimination based on religion and creed and practices, we have a no tolerance for sexual harassment. And we are required to agree to complete our daily assignments in a timely and professional manner, consistent with season's philosophy. At the end of the consent compliance document, we're asked some of these questions and maybe at your job, you're required to do the same. Have you read the above re statements regarding the policies and practices of Seasons Hospice? Do you understand that failure to comply can or will result in employee disciplinary actions or termination? Based on your understanding, do you agree to comply with the requirements of employment. 
Now, there are a number of reasons why a company requires that you sign an annual compliance contract. One of the reasons is that they are legally obligated to make sure that you know what you should know to do your job. So when the HR person calls you into their office, or did I say something wrong? I, I got it right. I got it. All right. Uh, the human resource person calls you into the office, one of the first things they're going to do if you have violated any of your policies is they're going to review the compliance document and they're going to ask, did you understand when you signed these documents? And if you say yes and you did something that you shouldn't do, you're going to either be disciplined or directed to the door with your stuff in a box. What they are saying when they ask you the question about whether you understood what you signed after reading the document, they're saying it, that our discipline or termination is based on the fact that you should have known better. You should have known. That's what they're saying. Here's the document. You signed it. You knew what was in it. You said you did. Therefore, consequences. You should have known better. Christians don't have to sign official annual compliance document. But there are things that are clearly presented in the word of God that you and I should know. The apostle James tells us in chapter 4 verse 17, he says, remember to that knowing what is right to do and then not doing it is sin. Knowing what is right to do but failing to do it is sin. You know better. In spite of what we know, we often disqualify ourselves from impactful ministry because we fail to do what we know. We fail to do what we know. Tell somebody, you should know better by now. At this church, you have been saved, most of many of you, even prior to coming here, and taught the word of God. And unfortunately, we don't do what we know. And I'm going to talk about what the enemy has been successful in accomplishing in limiting the ability of you to be everything that God has called you to be. In Matthew 24, verses 10 through 12, we read these words, And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Many false prophets will rise and deceive many. And because of lawlessness, because of the violation of the word of God, going against the word of God, the love of many will grow cold. Now, I know that this passage of scripture is primarily talking about eschatological matters, the doctrine of future things. Jesus is preparing his disciples for his departure. He's saying, I'm leaving, but I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I'm going to send the parakletos, the Holy Spirit, who not only will be with you, but he will live 
in you. And then he also says that I am going away, but I am coming again. So be ye also ready for such a time as you know not. So we know that Jesus is coming back, but we're not giving, given a definitive time. He says, be ready. And while this chapter talks about specific things that are going to happen that we are very familiar with, the signs of the end times, there'll be wars and rumors of wars. There'll be earthquakes in unusual places where there shouldn't be earthquakes. There will be famine. Fathers will be against sons and daughters against mothers. And there'll be pestilence and disease. We, we know those parts of the predictions regarding the end times. But one of the things that Jesus warns against that would be an indication that he is soon to come for this same Jesus who ascended into heaven. The angels reminded the disciples in Acts chapter 1, verse 11, that he will descend, that he's coming back. And he's coming back to get his church and we will be changed. Amen? Amen. Amen. And so Jesus talks about his return. And one of the warnings, as I said, that we often bypass, he says, in the last days, many shall be offended. That prediction is clearly provided for us in the word of God. And we have heard it, maybe glossed over it. And the Lord, when he puts into the scriptures things that he wants us to know, he didn't do it because he didn't have anything better to do. And once you have heard the truth, you know it, and therefore you should know better. And so Jesus said, as the time on the clock for eternity and this world's history as we currently know it winds down, there will be many who are offended. And so I want to talk about what I believe has been one of the most effective ways of destroying what God is trying to do in our lives and preventing all that God is trying to do. And I'm going to talk about this thing called being offended, the offense that Jesus speaks of. What does the word offense mean? And I want to consider three things about the word offense, which comes from the Greek word scandalizo, scandalizo, and I know it's pronounced that way because I listened to it on the internet. Thank you. Thank you for the convenience of the internet. But I actually, when I looked at the meaning for the word, I had to stand up and walk. It was that on, on spot in terms of where so many people are. The words for offense means to put a stumbling block or an impediment in the way upon which another may trip or fall, to put a stumbling block in front of someone with the intention to cause them to stumble or trip in order for them to fall. It means to entice someone to sin 
by causing a person to begin to distrust and desert one who he or she ought to, to trust and obey. And so what an offense does, the people that you ought to be listening to, the people who actually love you, the people who would be giving you good counsel, a stumbling block is put in your path in order for you to distrust them and not listen to what they say. It means to see in another what I to see in another what I disapprove of and what hinders me from acknowledging his or her authority. So you look at that person and because you see a stumbling block that prevents you from acknowledging that they're your, your boss or your pastor or your elder or your deacon or your parent, the stumbling block causes you to say, I don't have to submit to your authority. And so it hinders you from acknowledging the authority of the person that really is God-ordained. Or to cause one to judge unfavorably or unjustly. So you're judging someone in an unfavorable way. You're drawing conclusions about them that are not, the conclusions are not based on facts. It's based on your feelings. The offense you feel towards that person prevents you from receiving from them. And so there's some people that God places in our path, as I've already mentioned, your parents, your, your, your godly friends, or people who are uh, willing to tell you the truth even when it's not the truth you want to hear. But because an offense you have a certain, you feel some kind of way about them, your ears are unable to receive. One of the things that I've learned is, and I've been guilty of this, talking about people who are in authority, and I learned if I say something that I may have a problem with regarding another person, when it's time for that person that I have a problem with, that my son or my daughter is receptive to, because I have spoken in a derogatory way about them, now my son and my daughter can't receive from them. And so we want to be very careful that we're not guilty of allowing the things that are placed in our path that, we, that, that become like fleas and they stick to us to keep us from receiving what God intends to be shared and poured into our lives through others. Jesus came to the city of Nazareth, as I shared on last week. He was born and raised there, but they looked at Jesus and they found him to be offensive. He was a stumbling block. Jesus was viewed by, his, by the, those who had grown up with him. He was scandalous. They say, is this not the son of Mary? He's an illegitimate son, and he never went to seminary, never had any Bible training. He has no credentials. What is it that he can say to us? We know that he's preaching with authority, and people are being healed through the miraculous works through his hands. But I can't get with this Jesus because the stumbling block, the offense, and the Bible says that the greatest miracle worker of all times, Jesus did not perform. 
many miracles there. I want you to understand that when people are offended by you or don't give you a chance because of a stumbling block, the miracles that God has placed in each and every one of us, they will miss because the, the, block, the, the offense. Now notice the second thing about this word for offense. The Bible says many shall be offended. The Greek word actually means a multitude. There'll be a, a, it will be an epidemic of people walking around with a chip on their shoulder and a hair trigger waiting to tell you off to put you in your place because they already upset about something. We often say that these kind of people, and this is, this is one of the, the dangers of the internet and, and Fox News and CNC, and we watching that and hearing that and going to bed to it, working up to it, and you just upset and you don't even know why you're so uh, uh, angry and waiting to tell somebody off. You're looking for a Ku Klux Klan. I wish they coming my path today. I show them. And you wouldn't, you wouldn't know a racist if they slapped you in the face. But you're already primed. And so the Bible says in the last days, people are going to be walking around tender and sensitive and, and waiting to just go off, agitated, offended. We call those kind of people overly sensitive. And we used to restrict that to a small minority of people, but he says, in the last days, many shall be. There will be a massive epidemic of people who are constantly walking around with open wounds. One of the most challenging things about the, the work that our nurses do as hospice patients, as we get older, our skin becomes more delicate and more susceptible to what is called skin tears. And one, the worst thing that could, sometimes one of the most damaging thing that can happen to a senior is that they, they fracture their hip and then they become bed bound. And in that state, they can't walk and they're unable to move because the fractured hip uh, 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 kind of makes them sedentary. And, and so the longer you lay in one position, the more likely it is that your skin is going to tear. And so to keep uh, seniors from having skin tears, the nurses will go in and they move them every two hours and uh, they're constantly, sometimes the wound, you could actually put your whole fist inside of a skin tear. That's how deep, down to the bone, you can see people, their ribs and their spine because of skin tears. And no matter, once the skin breaks, either on the hill or wherever it might be, the nurse is constantly catching up with where did it break this time. And it's, it's, it's almost like an impossible task. They're, they're, they are wounded because of the delicateness of their skin that is no longer able to sustain some of the, in, the contact that formerly we were able to handle as younger people. I want you to know that there are a lot of Christians who walk around with skin tears, emotional skin tears. It doesn't take much for us to find ourselves upset, wanting to quit, wanting to leave, making judgments, drawing conclusions. He doesn't, she doesn't, they must not. It's got to be always, never. And, and, and all of these exaggerations based on wounds that have never healed. Many shall be 
offended. Now, the Lord told us in his word that in the last days that's going to happen. We ought to know better. Many of us have been saved long enough to be uh, understand that if we don't walk in the spirit, the Bible says we don't wrestle against what? Flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. So if I'm going to keep myself from being offended, from having stumbling blocks to prevent people that God intends to pour into my life and bless me, I need to put on the whole armor of God that I might be able to stand. Many shall be offended. Some of us don't even know why we upset. Don't even know why we don't like him or her, why they don't like us. They don't even know you. But they are part of this problem where we have allowed ourselves to be dictated to by our feelings rather than our faith. The Bible says that believers, we don't walk by what we see. We are not dictated to by what we feel, but we what? We walk by faith. Yes. Amen? Yes. Now, Satan works through real or imagined offenses to divide, to cause suspicion. We don't trust nobody. To, to, to encourage gossip, backbiting. Let me explain what I mean by gossiping, because in case you don't know. <laughs> Anything that you would say behind someone's back that you won't say to their face, that's gossip. And anything that you will say to somebody's face that you won't say behind their back, that's flattery. Going and sing, child. You know she can't sing. <laughs> and as soon as you walk away to the next room, did you hear that frog? I don't believe she actually thought that somebody. <laughs> Real or imagined offenses cause us to disrespect one another and it destroys our marriages, it destroys our friendships, it destroys our relationship with our children because something has happened and we never got over it and it's still right between our eyes every time we see them. You can be having a wonderful day and that person steps in the room and there we go again. You write back to how could they, why did they, they should have known better. They did it on purpose and if they do it again, I ain't no child no more. I'll show I know some karate. You don't know karate, you know karate. <laughs> Satan works through. Some of this stuff is in our minds. It, ain't, it never even happened. I told you, I, my son one time told me all this shit, how I slapped him, and he never slapped him. What in the world? But you keep thinking something, before you know it, you done added a chapter, you done put pictures in the chapter. One of my favorite episodes in the Twilight Zone, for some of you who are young enough to appreciate the Twilight Zone, there's an episode about monsters are due on Maple Street. Yeah, you missed that one, okay. This is a white middle class neighborhood. 
white collar workers, everybody's lawn is uh, immaculately manicured, everybody has a car, uh, two car garage, uh, kids that act like they know, and they play with each other, they, they, they are cordial, they speak to each other, and this is not the hood, this is not where I came from. So one day on Maple Street, some of the neighbors are looking into the sky at night and they see a flash of light. It's an unidentified flying object and they conclude that aliens are attacking Maple Street. And then they further conclude that they know who the alien is because earlier in the day, one of their neighbors was looking into the sky and obviously if he wasn't an alien, he wouldn't have been looking into the sky. And so they start threatening this man and his family. He runs into his house, he barricades himself. And then another neighbor said, well, let me go and see what this is all about because while uh, the UFO is in the air, all of a sudden all the lights go out in, in this little, on this little street. So one of the neighbors, he goes to find out what in fact is causing lights, is al are aliens really attacking? And so he finally comes back, he wants to tell the neighbors the news, but because it's pitch black, they don't recognize him. Someone takes a shotgun and kills him, assuming that he's an alien. And then when they're able to shine a flashlight on the man, they see that this was their favorite neighbor that they killed. Now, when he gets back and now he's dead, total bedlam, bedlam had broken out. It's a mob scene. The whole family is going at, broken into the house of the man who they saw looking into the sky. They kick his front door in. He's barricaded him himself and his family in the basement, and they, they're kicking that door in. And just as they're getting ready to kill him, the lights come back on. And the radio says, false alarm, unidentifying flying object was not an alien, it was simply a meteor flash. And so by this time, <laughs> the neighbors are looking at each other, these friendly, cordial, you know, go to church, Bible reading folk, are looking at each other. They didn't kill somebody, were prepared to kill a whole family because of what they thought. The devil didn't have to drop a bomb. He didn't have to send a terrorist. He didn't send no, no, nobody in to, to rob and plunder. All he did was planted a thought. And, and, and that's what the devil does. I, I ain't saying no monsters are due here at New Direction, but what I am saying to you, if we make the wrong conclusions about things that we are evaluating from a carnal mindset, you might find yourself at somebody's throat, find yourself saying things about someone that is not true based on what the enemy has sown in your heart. The devil is a liar. Am I right about it? And so we want to be very careful that we aren't guilty of, of not, we know what the word of God says, but here we are standing behind the stumbling block. They didn't speak to me. How could they? That's the worst thing. They could might as well just say, kill me. I might as well be dead 30 times. Spoke to everybody else. Walked right by me. Okay. 
the monsters have visited your cubicle. <laughs> so we need to be very careful. Now, who are the offended? You said, many shall be offended. And I like to think that this is outside the church. Christians don't act like that, especially the ones that can quote the Bible and tote the Bible and, and, and the ones who are saved and sanctified and filled with the precious Holy Ghost and first giving honor to God, the pastors, the, the ministers, and the deacons and friends. And I just want to tell God that God is good. And how often is God good? He's good all the time. Notice he says, of those who are offended, he says, because of the offense, their love will grow cold. Now, the Greeks had four words for our one English word for love. One of the words that was used for love by the Greeks was eros. That was a love. I love you because of a physical attraction. Baby, you fine. You're a boy, I'm a girl, girl meets boy, and you know, let's get physical. Eros love is a love that is based on physical attraction. It's the word where we get our English word erotic. Then the Greeks had a second word, phileo, which is a because of love. It's a love that is based on familiarity, shared common interest. It's a love, I love you because we friends. We tight like that. We go down like that. You like the movie, I like the movie. You like butter pecan, I like butter pecan. You like red, I like red. I love you! <laughs> then there's a third word the Greeks used. It was storge. This is a, a love that is based on blood relations. You are my relative. Storge, therefore I love you. If you weren't my relative, if we weren't blood, I would disown you. And so Storge is a because of love. If you weren't in my family, we wouldn't have this, I wouldn't do anything for you. But then there was a fourth word. The highest form of love, the kind of love that describes God, the Bible says God is love. God is agape. Agape love is unconditional. It's sacrificial. It's in spite of. It's active. It's the kind of love. It's, what you, it's something that you do. Agape love is something you do. God so loved the agape, the world that he gave. God did something. God poured out. God, the Bible says that while we were yet sinners, God demonstrated he did something. So agape love, the highest form of love, is God's love. The word that Jesus uses in this verse, he says in verse, 13, in verse 12, their, their love will grow cold is agape. He's talking about Christians because Christians are the only ones who are capable of loving like God because in Romans chapter 5 it says that the love of God has been deposited into our hearts. We have an unlimited reservoir in ability to love others because the love of God is not only deposited, but the Bible says it's lavished upon our hearts. I mean, this thing is like a river that overflows its banks. It's, there's never enough. I remember when my first son was born, and, and uh, I was just so happy. I was just a crazy man running through the hospital. Oh, I got a son. I, I, I forgot the son and forgot the, you know, oh, and then finally took him home. 
I think for the first year, I never called him by his name. I called him Boy Boy. <laughs> and then here comes Kanita. And here's a prayer that I prayed. I said, Lord, I don't know how I could love a second child. I love my first child so much. I actually prayed that prayer. I also prayed another spiritual prayer. I prayed, Lord, don't come back until I get married. <laughs> I was really spiritual and humble. Oh, don't you, don't you, don't rain on the game today because I want my team to have the best. You know, we don't pray those prayers, but I, you know, let me just, you know, I, don't let them see that penalty, Lord. Because <laughs> uh, God is an Eagles fan, you know. And so what, God, what, what the Lord said to me was that the kind of love I give you, there's always enough. It's, there's all, so, the, so he's talking to Christians. and We have the ability to, to love our enemies and to pray for people who, who get on our nerves and despitefully use us. And the ones who even persecute and harass us because the love of God is in your heart. We have agape love. We have agape love. One of the greatest evidences of the presence of God in your life is your ability to love people who don't love you. People that hurt you on purpose. They did it on purpose. They take pleasure in your misery. They back there. I mean, this is like Pharaoh or, or, or Nero playing the, uh, 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 the violin while Rome is burning. There's folk who, who play the violin while you are frustrated and disappointed and depressed and feeling you want to throw your own pity party. Well, listen to Nero. But God says, you have the love that I give to you through my son in your heart. The Bible says, many, your love will grow cold. I want you to know, husbands and wives, your love will grow cold for your spouse if you don't release offenses, if you don't forgive. I, I'm not telling you, sometimes you, you, you can forgive what you can't forget when you are dependent upon the Spirit of God. That's why the Bible says you need to be controlled and led and directed. You can't do this on your own, but because you belong to the Lord. The longer you hold a grudge, the longer you rehearse what somebody did or sh should have done and they didn't do, the colder and harder your heart becomes towards that person. That's why the devil doesn't want husbands and wives communicating and working through and talking through. The Bible says don't go to bed angry. Don't let the sun go down your, your wrath. Because what he's saying is if when you do, an offense will find a way of becoming a part of the furniture in your heart. Jesus says by this they'll know that you're my disciple, not because you have the biggest church, the largest church budget, and you got the greatest praise and worship, and the most, you know, people with new cars and new houses, because we named it, and we claimed it, and now we got it, and we can't pay for it, and getting ready to come and get it. But so, but no, no, it's just by your love, by your love. Men will know that Jesus is real. Now, why do offenses cause love to grow cold? I want to run through these. The pain of what we experience in reality or perception. What you think, perception is your reality. If you think somebody meant it, if you really believe it happened, 
often will say, well, honey, that's not what I meant. That's not what happened. But I'm not going to dishonor. You may feel very strong. I'm not discrediting your feelings. But guess what? They ain't based on facts. Now, I'm not going to pounce on her because she's entitled to feel what she feels. And I'm entitled to feel what I feel. <laughs> but I'm not going to allow myself or she to be controlled by what she feels. But the pain of what happened to you or what you believe, Jesus said they will betray one another and will hate one another. What happens when you are when somebody inflicts a wound, they disappoint you, you were dependent on them, they gave you their word and they didn't keep it, or they violated you. What happened? That pain just becomes so deep that it impacts your ability to be fully free. And that's the trick of the devil. If he can keep you in pain, if he can keep you nursing your wound, you will never be totally free. It's one thing for something bad to happen to you. It's another thing to continue to empower the person who hurt you by allowing it to continue to hurt you. Guess who you hurting? It's like stabbing yourself in the heart and expecting the other person to die. Go on and die now. You go on and die. Okay, they ain't bleeding. Failure to apply the scripture causes our hearts to grow cold. The Bible actually works. When something happens and you take the scriptures, Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the, word, out of the mouth of God. God has a preceding, a rhema word for you. When you use it in your situation, it will work. But if you don't use it, what happens, the impact of that on your heart, is that you will start losing passion for the word. You will start actually believing that the Bible doesn't work. And it's not, the, the problem is not with the word. The problem is you aren't using the word. The problem of great expectations causes the heart to grow cold. Some of us expect people to do what we would never do. And the people who are the most needy expect for people to do the most. And so the, Jesus, the Bible says, do unto others as you have. If you're not prepared to do what you expect somebody else to do, then why are you expecting them? And when they don't do it, then you are a wounded. You are, you are hurt. You are offended. The Bible says, uh, the Bible talks about, uh, he says, some trust in chariots and, and some trust in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord. We're going to trust in the Lord, not in what our expectations of others. Men will let us down. People aren't perfect. The walls that we build to protect ourselves from being hurt cause our heart to grow cold. Once, once you've been wounded, now you develop defenses. When you're in the presence of certain people, you're kind of on guard. You, you, you're going to be careful of them. And, and, and when you're in certain situations, you've got this fortress 
that has been built over time because you haven't forgiven. And so for each passing day, it's like building a brick, putting one brick on top of another brick. And so the months go into years and now years into decades. Some, I remember talking to one of the senior citizens about something a family member did. She said, and they took my furniture, they took my pictures. I don't know where my photo albums are. And I'm looking right at them. And I don't know where. And, and she said, and I just, you know, when I, I just went to the hospital for a week, I came back and, and I said, well, when did this happen? Was it last week? She said, no, this was 25 years ago, and I still can't. I said, oh, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to call them up right now, and I'm going to bring them over here because what the Bible says when someone, she said, you don't have to do that. That's all right. Some of us enjoy being miserable. We, we, we like being victims. We like people coming to our aid, calling the Calvary to a situation that you don't have to be in. And so you, we build, the Bible says, it's harder to win back the friendship of an offended person than to capture a fortified city. His anger shuts you out like, an, like iron bars. And so when people build up these walls, that's what happened in marriages, happened in relationships. Now you've got all of this stuff that keeps the person from ever touching you. You say the right things, you go through the right motion, but they ain't nowhere near what really matters to you because they did it. They shouldn't have done it. They should have known better. And how dare they? And if they ever think that I'm going to be like God, whoa, I, why not be like God? Now how do you know How, do, how, uh, how can you know if you are a member of a massive, offensive international club? How do you know if you're a member of that club? You know how you can be Sam, a member of Sam's Club, the YMCA Club? Well, how do you know if you're in the, uh, the offended club? Here are some characteristics of a person who is holding on to an offense, who has allowed a stumbling block to keep you from permitting someone that God would use to speak into your life to help you to become all that you could be. Or for you, you're never going to be able to operate in the authority and the freedom of God until you let go of your offenses. I don't care where you think you are, how great you are, as long as you're holding grudges and you know what the Word of God says about it, you will not be able to speak to situations that God is constantly, you keep running into the same experience. Why? Because God wants you to be able to speak to it and cause it to be brought under your foot. You're the head and not the tail. You are above and not beneath. But here, every time you find yourself in that situation, it's reversed. You're beneath and not above. You're the tail and not the head. Here's the first characteristic. You will focus, on your, you will focus your thoughts on what has been done to you more than what God has done for you. In Matthew chapter 18, I'm not going to be able to go through all the verses, verses 23 through 31, he talks about forgiveness. All you can think about is what they did. But what has, how many things has God forgiven you of? The Bible says his mercies are new every day. Great is his faithfulness. If it had not been, can you understand what I'm saying? God forgives you. He forgives me. He doesn't hold the grudges against us. And he knows every detail of every sordid thing that we've ever done. And yet he embraces us. He doesn't keep us from the throne room. He says, come boldly. Come with full confidence. Instead, we're focusing on what somebody did rather than what God has done. I used to throw a pity party. I'd go in, and I, I just remember uh, when things weren't going well at 
a, a previous church, I'd be in the, and then I'm at the worst possible place. I'm in the grocery store, Lord Jesus. I'm being punished twice. And so I'm walking through the grocery store on a Sunday night and I'm just thinking, how is this horrible, cruel thing fall, befallen me? And then the Lord spoke to me again. Why are you concentrating on what I'm not doing rather than what I am doing? When you allow an offense, even when you think you're right, <laughs> you're going to focus on what you aren't getting versus what God has already done. Somebody say amen. You avoid the risk of being hurt by controlling your environment. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 19, you keep people at a distance. You never had a good relationship with your father and your husband now who thought that you're the sweetest, the most darling, charming, God must have sent you from above heavens, you know, you're an angel in disguise. And then you get married to him and when you get upset, you don't see him, you see your father. And so you and your husband are never fully able to become one. You're never able to become transparent. You never fully open up to each other because you have not reco recovered from your offense. You got emotional tears. And so we have these offenses. We avoid risk. So we control our environment. We, let, we, we, we don't want no surprise parties. We don't want no surprise gifts. We want to know everything that's going to happen. Just in case. You filter everything through the lenses of your past hurts and disappointments. When Joseph's brothers showed up after they sold him into slavery, they beat him, they stripped him of his clothes, and he had only told them the dream. He said, one day you guys are going to bow down before me. I was reading that today, and it just, oh, man, the power of the word of God, this reading. Now, here they are in Egypt. He recognizes them after 15 years of going to jail, being falsely accused of rape. He recognizes them, but they don't recognize him because they look like what they've been through. But he didn't look like what he had been through. And so every time they got to thinking about what they did to Joseph, and they really did it, they intended for him to die. But they said, no, we might as well get some money out of this. They would view Joseph from the lenses of their past sin. And then Joseph said, what you intended for evil. I'm not looking at what you did to me. In fact, the first child that Joseph had, he named him Ephraim, which means God has caused me to forget. I'm not rehearsing what you did. I'm not marinating my pain. I'm not going to have a pity party, but I'm going to rejoice that the Lord has kept me. Uh, this is why I'm standing. This is why I'm strong. This is why I can be effective, because the Lord, the Lord... Stop looking at things through the lenses of what happened to you. Oh, I know they're up to no good. Why? Because everybody that ever was involved with me was up to no good. Well, that ain't the world. You know how husbands are. You know how men are. How are they? How many do you actually know? I actually said, I don't, I don't know every man. I can speak for me as, as for me in my house. I ain't going to be suffering for the sins of other men. I don't know what they did. I'm sorry. I can't change my gender. Wouldn't, wouldn't do it if I could.
Here's another indication that you're a member of the Offended International Anonymous Club. You search for and try to find scripture to support your attitude and actions. <laughs> you get a chance, look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Now you're going to spiritualize your carnality. When they apologize, I, I, I know what the Bible says, but this is church and this is business. When you hear somebody say church and business, they're in carnality. Because for the Christian, we do business as spirit-filled believers. It's just a different context. Somebody say amen. And so when you start searching for scriptures to justify sin, you know that you're a member of this club. Just surrender. If you're wrong, you're wrong. If you need to change, say, I'm sorry. I, I did it. I have sinned, and, 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 and I, I, I'm going to do better. That's what repentance is. But when you, your heart becomes cold and hardened because you're holding on to something that somebody did to you, you're going to try to justify your actions. It's through the word of God. <laughs> Here's another thing. I'm almost done. You will betray those who have offended you because you feel no loyalty to them. In Proverbs chapter 11, verse 13, you're going to get even. Vengeance is mine, saith. Put your name there. No, vengeance is the Lord. I will repay. God says, I will cause them to reap what they sow. And be, don't in any way think you go, your sin, you can get away with sin. That's God's job. But when somebody hurts you, an eye for an eye. Didn't the Bible say that? Eye for an eye, a two for two. You knock one out of mine, I'm going to knock two of yours. That's the letter of the law. The spirit of the law says, forgive. Somebody say amen. I'm almost done. You are filled with anger that causes you to overreact. You want to kill somebody. You're going to yell at the top of your voice, and you, it's totally inappropriate for that situation. And you go to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 to 29, you'll see that. Finally, you, you will expect others to apologize and accept your point of view without question. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 22, you don't apologize to nobody. When's the last time you apologized to somebody? I didn't say you brought them a smoothie or something. No, 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 no. That's not an apology. You're trying to bribe somebody. <laughs> When's the last time you said, it's me? I did this. Honey, I'm sorry. Can we get, no, no, no. Honey, I'm sorry. And I, I, When's the last time you confessed? your faults to somebody and then add a but a but if you no 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 when you're really repenting you're not going to try to explain sin away now how do you know how do you how do you overcome offenses how do you do what you know better to do somebody say amen that's a good question isn't it now here's one of the things that the Lord says that many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. While we are so busy licking our wounds and being angry and suspicious and divisive and cantankerous and sensitive, the devil is 
building his kingdom. Many false prophets have arised. And they're preaching stuff that doesn't deal with your sin. They ain't telling you about offenses. They ain't telling you you need to change. They ain't telling you it's okay. They just say, leave her. Drop her. Drop her like it's hot. Go get somebody else. <laughs> I don't find drop her like it's hot in the Bible. I don't see that. <laughs> so he says, many false prophets, while we are sleeping in, on the job, while we are MIA, so busy focusing on ourselves and not Jesus Christ, the devil has mounted up another alternative voice, a false voice, and many have been deceived. They're not following the word of God anymore. They don't care if the man or woman ever opens the Bible. They don't run the church by what the scriptures teach. They run it by what will keep people's backsides in the seats. I'm not going to say behind. I'm not going to say that. <laughs> here we go. Here, here's how we can overcome. Accept wrong when it brings glory to Christ. First Peter talks about in chapter 3, if it's going to glorify Christ, you, he said, I, you would need rather be wrong than to try to prove your point to destroy somebody and get your way. Some people are more concerned about being right than making something right. Apply God's word to your wounds. No neosporin. You've got some wounds that no antibiotic can touch. No holy oil is going to touch this. You're going to have to take the word of God and say, identify what the source of your pain. This person violated me. This person ignored me. Whatever the sin you think they did and, and may have done, take what the word of God says about it and then add the ointment called forgiveness. Forgive one another as God through Christ has forgiven you. Now you're not giving somebody a freedom to do anything they want to do. There are other scriptures about that. Somebody say amen. amen. Abase yourself. Humble yourself by elevating the needs of others above your own. The Bible says, think of the needs of others more highly than yourself. Have the mind of Christ. Jesus became of no reputation. One of the reasons why we're so easily offended is because we're too arrogant. We're proud. We're proud. How dare they? Don't they know who I am? I come from. What do you come from? We come from the dirt of the earth fashioned by the hand of God. And the best of us ain't nothing but dirt. They're just a different shades of dirt. And the Bible says from dirt you came and from dirt you gonna return. You may be a little lighter dirt, but guess what? You ain't nothing but what I am. We all dirt. <laughs> Finally, act like Christ. What would Christ do about what he allowed to happen to you. What would Jesus do? What did he do when they pierced him in the side and nailed him to the cross? All he had to do was call and, and a legion of angels would have come to his aid. But he, he said, Father, 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 forgive them. For what? For what? Kill? I would be kill them. Destroy them. Don't they understand? I'm the son of God. I'm the king. No, no, he said, forgive them. 
for they know not, they don't fully understand what they're doing. You should know better. By now, stand with me, all the time you've been coming to church, all the scripture you've been reading, and what happens to people who have built defenses, when they hear a sermon like this, they add another brick. He must have, somebody must have, nobody talked to me. <laughs> Other than the Lord. A young man was going away to college. He was the son of a pastor. And he was so happy that he was finally going to be free from living under the bondage of a, of a, of a pastor's child. And so he actually decided to go two weeks earlier before school even opened. And uh, his father said, look, son, you don't need to do this. I don't agree, but I'm going to let you make your own decision. And, he, and so he said, have you really thought this thing through? Yeah, I'm good. Just get me there. And so he said, son, I just have one thing I want to give you. And he took his Bible, had a brand new Bible, and it was still wrapped in a, in, 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 a, in, in a gift wrapping. He said, son, just give me your word. He said that I want you to give me your word that every day while you are away, you will read your word. You'll open up this Bible that has blessed us so. Oh, yeah, okay, Dad, whatever you say. So they took him to college. He had his Bible, had his bags, got into his room. Then he realized that he really hadn't thought everything through because the campus wasn't open for two weeks. There wasn't going to be any food. And here he was, the only thing he had was a Bible. He didn't have any money for food. He was too proud to even ask. And so now he's mad. He's tossing the gift of Bible around. How dare my dad send me to school and not give me any money? That's why this Christian stuff don't work. I'm so sick and tired of being a pastor's kid and, and on and on. And he tossed the Bible and the gift wrapping fell off. And the Bible came open in the second week after he hadn't eaten for two weeks. And out of the center of the Bible fell $500. Everything he needed <laughs> was get wrapped <laughs> in the word of God. If he had only opened the scriptures and uh, uh, did what he told his father he was going to do, he wouldn't have been offended. That wouldn't have been a stumbling block. The stumbling block kept him from receiving the blessing. Don't allow the devil to use what someone intended for evil to keep you from your blessing. You ought to know better. Father, in Jesus' name.